Hey there, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Classic Gaming Brothers. I'm Seth. And I'm Zach. And I'm Ben. And we are the Classic Gaming Brothers. And Ben. And Ben. <laughs> That's right. Man, I, I guess I missed a lot. Yeah, you, you did miss a lot. When I, when I left the studio, there was one person, and then you had a podcast with somebody else, and now we found Ben. And now we found Ben. Since you've been gone, Seth, we've had multiple people come through these doors that haven't been you. <laughs> it's, it's like an episode of Law and Order. <laughs> it is. I just want you to know that our producer took us out. He wanted to talk about the future of the podcast and to get me a hot dog. Well, I wasn't invited, so... No, you're never <laughs> invited I... to talk about future stuff. Also, I was very sick. <laughs> In any case, uh, welcome, Ben. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you. Thanks. Hopefully you found the accommodations in the flight comfortable. Oh, first class. I'm always amazed when people get first class. <laughs> last time I flew Classic Game Brothers Airline, I got cargo hold. There's no return ticket, though. I was, I was quite surprised. Once you move to Classic Gaming Brothers headquarters, you live in Classic Gaming Brothers headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> There's other guests in other rooms. You could find them. Uh, some of them have been watered recently. But yeah, so we uh, invited Ben onto the episode to not only because he's a fount of knowledge when it comes to I call it alternate Pokemon games that's what I'm going to call it the non-canon <laughs> the, the non, non-canon Pokemon games it's a very niche skill that you need to be a specialist in but also Ben's working on a card game which is like a video game adjacent um it's, it is a game you can play it and you can get enjoyment of it it just exists in the physical space versus the uh digital space i'm pretty sure our listeners know what card games are <laughs> first of all i'm coming back with a pedantic of revenge but it wouldn't be classic gaming brothers if we didn't explain basic things uh, so before we get into the actual episode, uh, we're going to have a fun conversation about Ben and his game, and we're going to talk about games that we've been playing, we're going to talk about non-canon Pokemon games, and we're going to talk about uh, some retro games. So Ben, we're going to turn the mic over to you. Why don't you take the floor, introduce yourself your in uh, your game, and just like give us the elevator pitch. Pretend that we're in a convention hall, and we're surrounded by tons of people, and you have a few moments to get me to pay attention when there's flashing lights on the other side. Yeah, so I'll start with an introduction to myself and a little bit about my background here. Uh, so my name's Ben Veely, and, uh, and sticking to the brothers theme here, I am the oldest of four brothers. Uh, so there's me, my brother Matt, Nate, and John. Um, and games were like a staple of our household growing up. Video games, computer games, car games, board games, whatever be it. If it's a game, we played it and we had a lot of fun. Probably annoyed our parents a lot, but uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to be us. So uh, eventually we started making up our own roles to our to the games that we were playing and uh the games that we like play continuously like Catan and started making our own rules and and one day we just decided to make my own game uh so I started a company that's called VTO Games just to start to work on my games that I've been designing I have eight to this point, uh, all in various different stages, but um, there's one in particular that I'm working on, and that's Standoff the Wild West. Ooh, it's fun. In the name, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, Outlaws versus Lawmen, and, and it's a fast-paced Western-themed card game requiring players to strategically manage their hands while navigating cards with variable effects. Um, it uses historical figures, so you'll see people in there like uh, Wyatt Earp, Pat Bat Masterson, Jesse James, Billy the Kid, Pat Garrett, and, and so forth. Uh, everyone that you'd probably be familiar with if you're familiar with like the Old West. Is that, are you going to have Arthur Morgan in there? Can he be a DLC card? 
hard. <laughs> I don't have Arthur Morgan. I've tried. I tried to stick to the ones that like you'll probably see them in like movies or like are pretty well known uh, that people could be uh, familiar yeah. with. But it's a really quick game. It's like five minutes to twenty minutes, depending on which version you play. It's like three games in one, and uh, it supports two to eight players. Eight players if if you have multiple different people that want to play. That's really cool. I I do like the idea. Just as a note, how you talked about how you started with you know making new rules to games you were already playing i feel like that's such a it's so indicative of game designers that i've talked to and have known that's like the always the starting point for them be it in physical media or in video games is like oh i was playing this game and i made my own rules going back to even like i didn't know him but gary gygax like that's how he got started with dungeon and dragons was making his own rules to avalon hill war games and like drawing his own maps and stuff like that so i just think that's a fun little thing to note yeah we just play different rules and try something out and there's a lot of fun it's just make your own make your own kind of rules and, and go from there. Do you have a social media that where people can keep up to date on your progress as you're going along? Yeah, right now uh, I'm, just, I'm just on Instagram so my handle is at VTO Games and if you click there and follow, follow me along I'll post about the game I'll post about you know different updates on the artwork uh, and different parts of the design process, the packaging and, and when I'm going to kickstart the game I'll put something out there as well so I try to do something once a week just to keep people up to date and uh, that's, that's all I have right now but eventually i'll probably expand into other areas facebook twitter uh whatever uh tiktok maybe <laughs> but that's addicting so i don't know if i want to tiktok <laughs> we'll see how long tiktok's around for <laughs> unless it gets banned that's true do you want to get into standoff a little bit and telling us more about the card game you're designing specifically yeah sure it's a very simple game i wanted to make something that fits into a card box uh so right now it's players will have 10 cards in their hands so 10 outlaws if you're the outlaw team or 10 uh, uh, lawmen if you're the lawman team they're numbered cards from 1 to 10 and each card has something unique about it that changes the way that you might play the cards depending on what your opponent plays uh, so the way that it would start out is is you play one card face down in front of you from your hand you say one two three draw mm-hmm. you know how it works in all the western movies and then uh, you turn it over and you compare the cards together and see who wins. Now, sometimes the lower cards might beat the higher cards. It all depends on what the other person plays. So it's not straight up 10 beats 9, yes, but 1 can beat 10 and, and so forth. Um, and then the whoever has the most tricks at the end of the game wins. And that's the simple dual version that I've created. I've created a team version where you're linking up with other people, like the other outlaw, if there's another outlaw in the game, or the other lawmen, and you can play together and w- work strategically and collaborate to take on your opponents. And then I have a third version where it's where it's like you start with different number of cards. You actually discard some to start so you, your opponent doesn't know exactly what you have. And you bet one of your cards for points, and you play it in rounds so that way you can get points at the end of the game um, and whoever has the most wins and there's a surrendering component to that one there's a betting component to that one so just a different way to play with the same set of cards and I wanted a very dynamic game uh, that people could play multiple different ways but also really quickly too it's not something that's going to take your whole night and it's right. something that you'll want to say hey rematch or best two out of three yeah that's something I um, come to realize so I, I am uh, an avid board game I, I would say collector I'm not sure if I would say I'm an avid board 
game player. I think my buying throughput is higher than my playing throughput, but that's one of the things that we get kind of stumped with with my wife and I is is the time, right? So like we and it's it's really trying to find like a good uh, one versus one or like a two player game that plays fast. Like that's a game that like we would be interested in playing because we either have like a bunch of Euro games that you're reading rules for the entire time that you would be otherwise playing, and then when you're done reading the rules, everyone is tired and it's bedtime anyway. There are or the games tend to be the exact opposite case where they're like too simple and then like you're like okay like this is just not even challenging so i think there is a there is a i feel like a good market for games that are lightweight for a smaller audience that can expand Mm -hmm. um i also feel like it's hard to find games for more than like five people i feel like you always need like five but not more than five and not less than five i feel like there's always like it's just a weird amount of players for board games because we have a lot of games that like cap out at five and we're like well we're gonna have six people over so that's like half of our closet is not able to be played because it caps out at five like which is ridiculous but so i think it's a it's a really cool concept this game is for you then yeah exactly <laughs> sign me up <laughs> I, t- I took this to a long island uh tabletop gaming convention uh recently this past month and i got a lot of good feedback and a lot of good reviews from the game definitely easy to play quick to learn like i sometimes i just hand them the deck and the rules and they'd be able to play in like a minute they're like oh i understand this game it's really easy and then uh, a lot of, but it's more strategic than you think it is so it's you're not just going to just play a card and ran, and then just play your next card you're going to have to think about what cards the other person has remaining what cards could potentially come up maybe they're limited based on the card that they play and you might play something different based off of what their restriction is uh so i mean a couple of the reviews i got like hey it's a very fun quick clever game simple to learn i played a full round in five minutes look forward to seeing this published i have another one quick game that'll be fantastic for parties recommend trying it out it has a nice section in there about the characters and how they relate to each other. Lots of fun, uh, really replayable, quick to learn. Uh, Well-balanced, quick strategy game, a real thinker. So, uh, I mean, that's the kind of feedback I've been getting on the game. And that that sounds like exactly what you're looking for. So look look out for me to publish this. That's fair. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) On the topic of designing it, how how far along are you in the design process for the game? Uh, Yeah, so for the design, um, I'm currently working on the packaging right now. Uh, So I have almost all the artwork done. Um, So once I get the packaging, done i'll start working on the rule book and make any final edits to the cards and then my hope for it is is to launch it on kickstarter for those who don't know what kickstarter is it's a crowdsourcing platform where people can back the game and pre-order copies uh, to raise funds um, and i'd use those funds for manufacturing so design the game get prototypes build out an audience which hopefully this will help to do find people to review the game create a video on how to play build a website launch the campaign um, and then find like a manufacturer distributor to help uh, manufacture it. After everything is finished being designed, what is, uh, what's your next steps that you're going to take? Yeah, so after I finish designing the game, um, the next steps are to go out to get a prototype made, prototypes that I can then send out to you know influencers or people like yourselves. I want to make sure that I can uh, get enough people to know about the game so it has a successful launch. Because uh, on Kickstarter, if, you're, if you don't reach your funding goal, then the game doesn't get actually made. So I want to make sure I have a large enough audience to do that. I need to find someone to help me create a video that describes how to play the game, something for Kickstarter, just to give people a flavor of what the game is. Then I'll probably work on uh, building a website out, launch the Kickstarter campaign, find a manufacturer and a distributor, and then um, go from there. Great. 
That's awesome. Now, how did you get into uh, designing games? We talked about it a little bit earlier, where it's just your you have like a little bit of a natural desire to just like to start to iterate onto things. But how did you get into specifically getting into where you're where you you're you're pretty far along with standoff? So like, how did you kind of get to that part? Yeah. Uh, so I, I mentioned how like uh, my brothers and I play a ton of games, and and I think I said it was Settlers of Catan that we started making up our own roles to see how I'd make the game different. Um, but one day, actually a funny story here, like one day on a car ride during the pandemic from Florida to New Jersey, so now plenty of time to kill, I just decided I'm going to start trying to make my own games. Like, I can do this. I already do this for the games that I already enjoy playing. Let me try and branch out on my own and do this. If you've ever watched the TV show Survivor, that's what I tried to make the first game around, and it's not, objectively not a great game. Could use some tweaking, but that that's kind of what got me pushed into like, uh, hey, I like doing this. I can do this. Let me try other themes that I enjoy designing games around. So I've designed a game around like this Western themed card game where like Stand Off the Wild West. I have a golf themed game, football, fishing, uh, the survivor game, uh, a game about airlines. Uh, and then I have this uh, war strategy game and a game where you try to finish in second place. Uh, so I mentioned, yeah, they're all different various stages, but hoping to launch Stand Off the Wild West first. Hopefully if that's successful, then I can then go on to the next game in the next game and then start to build out you know, a different a collection of games that people can buy and play. Why did you choose the name of VTO Games as your company? Yeah, so VTO Games, it's all about family and friends for me. Uh, the people who have always been there and supported me and really made me who I am today. Uh, so the V in VTO is for Vili, which is my last name. Uh, the T is for Tariff, which is my wife's maiden name. And the O is for Oberholzer, who are my, my best friends growing up and they were in my wedding. The logo itself has four symbols in it on the shield and the four symbols represent the four Vili brothers. Those symbols are a deck of cards, an hourglass, a chess piece, and dice. So classic gaming materials. Nice. That's very cool. Now to our audience, we are a video game podcast. So we did bring on Ben to also talk about some video games. But before we get into the, I guess, the recently played section of our podcast, Ben, do you remember your first ever video game that you played? So my first system that my family owned was the N64. Oh, you're uh, making me so- feel so old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love the N64. There's so much, so many good memories there. But the first video game I can really remember is Super Mario 64, which I think just came with the system. So obviously that was the first game that we started playing, running around as Mario, exploring the different levels for hours, collecting stars, and you know just trying to be- defeat Bowser and uh, save Princess Peach. Yeah, that is a, a solid game. It uh, is. We, yeah. I still love just just when you boot it up for the very first time hearing the Mario little like It's me, Mario. It has such a, like a nostalgic ring to it every single time yeah. I hear it. It mm-hmm. I've literally never get tired of hearing it. <laughs> the the the, fa- the smushy face with the yeah, like, to like stretch out his and, nose yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, and you could lock it. I think was it you did have to do certain buttons. If you held to, the like, Z button, I think yeah. you could lock it. Mm-hmm. And then if you let go, it just bounces back it and it goes. Yeah. So to get into the show, we're going to talk about our recently played. Uh, ben, as a guest, why don't you go first and tell us a little bit about what you've been uh, recently been playing? Yeah, so recently I've been playing uh, Super Smash Bros. on the N64. Uh, so that's a, a fighting nice. video game uh, developed by HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo in the U.S. Uh, on the N64 in 1999. Uh, so nice. it's a cross it's a crossover fighting game uh, between several different like Nintendo franchises. So you'll see characters in there, Mario and Luigi. 
of course, Link, uh, uh, Kirby, Fox, Simus, Pikachu, among others. And uh, the fun thing about this is it's not just a single player mode, but like there's also multiplayer that can support up to four players. Y you guys have probably played this game. I mean, it's it's so much fun you're fighting. The single player, you know, you're trying to get to uh, the end defeat master hand. You're going through 14 different stages that you can play. When we were uh, kids, we used to have tournaments for the original Smash Brothers, and uh, I was always the Pikachu guy. Oh, I hated Pikachu. That's why I was the Pikachu guy, because everybody hated him. I think there's something to be said about the lack of options that are in Smash Bros. So I feel like as Smash Brothers, obviously it's a successful franchise um, and has iterated into all the Nintendo systems, including the Switch. But I feel like they always add more and more characters. And I feel like the simplicity of the N64 and the lack of options was just nice compared to like the overwhelming amount of options. I just, it goes back to like a simpler time where you just had so many options and that was it well you you say that but ben have you played i think you can play it as a rom and i know it exists in cartridge form from like you can buy it off the internet but it's called um super smash remix and it's a heavily modified version of the original super smash brothers but it adds like bowser's added as a character dr mario young link like all the melee characters uh sonic conquer they added a bunch of bosses that you could play as so you can play as like Giga Bowser or the mad piano, the evil piano from Super Mario 64. Oh, and then they funny. added like... <laughs> tons of stages so there's like all of the melee stages were added some stages from brawl stages from ultimate it's like the ultimate love letter to smash brothers but in the limitations of classic smash brothers yeah well i'm gonna have to check that out now it's a rom hack so it's a rom hack so you can download it as a rom and it, it probably is worth it more to play it as a rom because it gets updated very regularly but there are vendors on like etsy that will sell you a cartridge if you want to play it on real hardware alternatively if you have like an, an ever drive or a flash cart for your N64. You can always just download the 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 ROM whenever it's updated. The game I was playing recently wasn't really a classic game in any regards. It's Warhammer Vermintide 2, which um, was the first time I ever played a Vermintide game. Uh, released in 2018 by Fat Shark, Warhammer Vermintide 2 is the sequel to you guessed it, Warhammer Vermintide 1, uh, also known as Warhammer End Times. But wait, if it was the End Times, how is there a two? And that's what I'm wondering. But in the game, it's a four-player cooperative first-person action game, and it's basically Left for Dead, but coded to look like Warhammer. So instead of fighting zombies, you're fighting members of the Chaos Army or members of a group of rat people called the Scaven. It's a uh, classic Warhammer too, so it's it's Warhammer the dark ages there is dark tide which is a new game that's set in the 40k universe and it's by the same people heard it's not good but so far i really like vermintide i really like the kind of mix of the classic warhammer aesthetic with the familiar gameplay style of a left for dead game um it's a little bit more robust at times than left for dead can be but it has some familiar things like getting this item from objective a to objective b without being killed by a bunch of monsters or um, there was one where we had to push a sled down like a hill without making sure it doesn't get stopped which just r reminded me of like tf2 mixed with left for dead and my favorite character to play as is victor saltspire who's a witch hunter and he wears a very fun hat and he dual wields flintlock pistols which makes him the best character yeah i actually i think i played as the witch hunter 
as well when I played Vermintide. When I was playing as the Witch Hunter, I was like, this is a guy Seth probably would love. Yeah, because <laughs> I, I think he's in the original. He is, as, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's why I played him as the original. I, I like, I Witch Hunters and Inquisitors are my, like, aesthetic jam, I guess. Yeah, it's a good game, though. Um, I've been playing it with my friends, so that's why it's uh, been on my mind recently. I'll p- probably be playing it again soon. Seth, what about you? What have you been playing? So recently, I've been playing uh, Crusader Kings 3. However, I'm not playing specifically just Crusader Kings. This is a total conversion mod that I've been playing, which is new. Crusader Kings 3 came out in 2020, developed and published by Paradox. However, coming out like last week of 2023 is the uh, a brand new total conversion mod for Crusader Kings 3, putting it into the Game of Thrones world. This mod was released for both Crusader Kings 1 and Crusader Kings 2, so it was all in due time when it would be released for Crusader Kings 3 and that due time is now. It's currently an alpha so they're still adding things and you can only play a couple of periods of times because they're still trying to figure out how to do dragons in Crusader Kings 3 but they will probably get there. The mod is called CK3 AGOT. Uh, allows you to take on the role of any ruler during a couple of periods of time. I was specifically playing during the outbreak of Robert's Rebellion but there's an earlier time that you can play where uh, Tigarius is on the throne instead. I wanted to play during Robert's Rebellion because then I would know Peter Baelish was alive and would be very young at the time. And that's who I wanted to play as. So I played as Peter Baelish because he is one of my favorite Game of Thrones characters. Good old little finger. During the game, I was in the veil and was in charge of my little fingers. And I used a bunch of skullduggery to become king. Um, that skullduggery involved, I was involved with the queen of the veil, the Lord Paramore as it were, whatever it's called. And I ended up killing the king and then marrying my my love and then once i married her i had a child the child who was now king was vaguely my son-in-law i guess uh he was the child of my wife but not the child of mine and i ended up uh petitioning the religion and getting the rights to become king because he was just a kid and kids kids can't rule and they were like yes you are allowed to go and fight him and then i took him capture and as prisoner and then I became king. I also then proceeded to strip him of all of his titles. Uh, So then he uh, went to go and became unlanded and then he just wandered the countryside because he had no titles and I had his titles because I really wanted to be um, in charge of the Eerie. So I was like, I want to be in charge of the Eerie. So I I should have thrown him out the moon door. (laughs) I should have thrown him out the moon door. Instead, he became a farmer or I guess a a vagabond child. And the other best part of this uh, particular run is that my my character is yet to conceive a male child, and the way that Game of Thrones works, it's a male primogenitor society, so it needs to, at least the veil, it has to go down the male descendants. So I have two daughters, but there was at one point in time a random child that was abandoned and the courts petitioned me and said what should we do with this random child all of his parents abandoned him and he's like an orphan and one of the options was I will adopt him and he will become House Baelish so my heir and son is a random commoner uh, so when Peter Baelish dies it will <laughs> the entire kingdom of the Vale will go to this random commoner who Peter Baelish decided on a whim that he was his son and the, my two daughters would get nothing which is I feel like just a entire thing of its own it's a snapshot into the culture of the time I guess but yeah the Game of Thrones mod uh, if you're interested in playing Crusader Kings 3 Game of Thrones mod it's available and they'll be doing countless updates as they 
roll out more features for it. Well, uh, let's get into today's episode. We're going to talk about some non-canon Pokemon games. That's which, right. Uh, <laughs> I'm super excited about I love non-canon Pokemon games. And what we mean by non-canon Pokemon games is these are Pokemon games that do not fall necessarily into the perceived lineage of Pokemon games of like red, blue, yellow gold etc these are the spinoffs specifically pokemon snap and pokemon stadium so ben you seem to like these games so give us a give us a little uh, your thoughts let's start with pokemon snap sure sounds good i'll give you an overview of pokemon snap then uh yeah let's do it pokemon snap is a first person photography game where players take pictures of pokemon uh and it was designed by by hal laboratory and published by Nintendo for the N64 in the U.S. in 1999. So what players do is they travel around different areas of the map and, and on Pokemon Island in the Zero One vehicle, taking pictures of Pokemon, and then return to the research lab and select their best photos uh, to be scored by Professor Oak. Uh, so you'll see in the scoring system that you have for the game, you know, they, they rate your pictures based on Pokemon size, pose, technique, so keeping it in the frame. Uh, if you have multiples of the same Pokemon and any specials. Uh, so if you've ever played the game, it could be like a, like Pikachu on a stump or Pikachu flying uh, through the air. Or for some reason, Mew just gets 2,500 points just for being Mew. O- along the way, like I, as you take more pictures of Pokemon and score well, uh, you can progress to different maps. And Professor Oak will give you different things to help you take better pictures like apples, pester balls, and a pokey flute. So the, the game features seven different levels. There's a beach, tunnel, volcano, river, cave, valley, and rainbow cloud. And the levels contain 63 of the original 151 Pokemon, uh, some of which are, are hidden in the game. And uh, some of the Pokemon are also like uh, can open secret routes if you, if you hit them with a pester ball or so forth. And there's also disguised Pokemon signs uh, that you have to take pictures of to get to the final level. I love Pokemon Snap. That's a very nostalgic game for me. It's one of those games that when we had our N64 that I would just play for hours. And I'm fairly certain the copy I own still has our sister's save file on it, Seth. Because I'm pretty sure when you start it, it says, Welcome back, Sarah that's great yeah and she had it completed she had all the all the pokemon um she had the hidden level the the what's it called the final level when did she pl- i don't even remember her playing it i mean well, unless one of us named ourselves sarah <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe or probably all of us were playing on it of the same the save file but there's a couple things i just particularly love about it for one thing you play as a character named todd snap which is the best name for a character who <laughs> just takes photos is <laughs> his last name is snap but also, originally the game was supposed to be a Jack and the Beanstalk game, which it just eventually got converted into a Pokemon game somewhere down the line. And like, what a world that would have been if we had a game similar to Pokemon Snap, but set in the world of Jack and the Beanstalk. Because no one would be talking about it today, I can assure you. Unless that game was like, amazing. But somehow in that Jack and the Beanstalk game, there'd be a shelter that you have to take a picture of. Right. Which is re- <laughs> ridiculous. The most hard, the hardest hardest pokemon to take a picture of by far in my opinion oh yeah if you try to take a picture of shelter you're guaranteed to get like 10 pictures of his ass before you get a picture of his face (laughs) for 10 points yeah (laughs) you were close i think uh, another interesting thing about pokemon snap 
was that Pokemon got into a relationship with Blockbuster in regards to the promotions of Pokemon Snap. And they had a Pokemon Snap station at Blockbuster that was themed with yeah. like Pikachu and and it was like bright blue. You could print your pictures. Yeah, you could print your pictures. You could for a brief moment, you could pretend that you were in the Pokemon world printing pictures of actual Pokemon, which is amazing and well done on Blockbuster. I, Blockbuster made a lot of mistakes in their life, but that was not one of them. There's a local game store to me that actually has one of those units. It was operable, but I think they had an issue with it so it's currently just like is on display but it's still the coolest thing whenever i'm there i just love looking at it they they were sticker sheets yeah yeah that printed so like it was like you're at an old photo like one of those photo booths that prints out those sheets except it's of your pokemon i think that's amazing we'll we'll talk about it uh when we finish talking about both pokemon snap and stadium we'll talk a little bit about their sales figures and it led to being a very well rented game it was just some a game that like everyone was like not only was it a good selling game but it was something that people would go to blockbuster to rent yeah now ben there are seven levels in the game beach tunnel volcano river cave valley and the rainbow cloud which is the secret last level do you have a favorite level of pokemon snap oh do i have a favorite level uh i kind of like the volcano level because that's that's the one as as you're going along you can get the magmars at one point you can throw an apple between them and they start fighting and you can get a picture of that. <laughs> or you could dunk Charmeleon into a lava pit to turn yep, him into yep. a Charizard, which just like is very messed up if you think about it. You're just like, I'm just going to shove you into this lava pit and force you to evolve. But whatever. It's for photos. It's for Professor Oak. He loves these. You can also at one point just like get like this horde of Charmander to come out and yeah. like just start jumping around and throw apples at them. Or you can be really mean and throw pester balls at them. They'll fall over and like yeah. spin their arms and fall back. Uh, you can do the pokey flute and they come like like a cult of dancing Charmander. Yeah, because there's the part on the map where you get blocked by the egg that has Moltres mm-hmm. in it. When you get blocked, you just throw apples on the ground and just Charmander spawn. It's every They're everywhere. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. great. <laughs> I, I also, I just love how critical Professor Oak can be. I remember once I got all those Charmanders there and I took a photo and I think I ended up centering my camera on like the Charmander in the far back and Professor Oak looked at it and he was like, this is garbage. A hundred points. And I was like, there's like 15 Charmanders in here and they're all beautiful framed. It's these, no, garbage. hundred points. Technique is poor. Your technique. Yeah. Ah. Uh, you were close. That's <laughs> just that voice. That was the, that was the best. <laughs> Really, when we were talking about Pokemon Snap as a topic prior to the episode, Zach was really excited for me to talk about my uh, idea as a child. <laughs> so when I was a child, when Pokemon Snap came out, I really wanted the game called Pokemon Poacher and have it be Pokemon Snap. But instead of having a camera, you have a gun. And you instead, it, it becomes a rail shooter where you shoot the Pokemon and bring them back to the clubhouse to like hang on the, uh, the like wall and collect so instead of collecting photographs you collect the carcasses of this pokemon that you ruthlessly hunt from your bubble i was a, a child that maybe a little touched the head a little bit yeah i think you might have been playing a bit too many uh games of doom <laughs> maybe <laughs> it was too much mortal Kombat and night trap it was too much it's definitely too much night trap <laughs> way too much night trap too uh there was a game that was going to be 
out uh, that was basically a Pokemon game, but with a hunting mechanic. And I don't remember what it was called. It wasn't like Pokemon because they obviously couldn't call it Pokemon, but it was like a game that was on Steam for a while that was just in development. I don't know if it ever came out, but it was literally what Seth wanted as a game. And I was like, this is Seth's game. <laughs> you could do a crossover between like Pokemon and Goldeneye for the N64. Just got like some slappers only with the Pokemon. Or... <laughs> no, I think I think Seth wanted a crossover with Cabela. Oh, okay. He wanted to go into the arcade and get the get the orange get shotgun. The yep. The big deer hunter game. Yeah. Whatever. Oh yeah, love that. Yeah, yeah exactly. Except with Pokemon. It, yeah, it would have <laughs> been great. It would have been a good arcade game because you have like a clubhouse. I'm telling you, I wouldn't. It wouldn't go anywhere because Nintendo would refuse to have something like that to happen to their franchise. But if there was, if I could find a sketchy enough, maybe Bally's. You think Bally's is doing anything? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I think Bally's is very free to do this. I also. Just back to Pokemon Snap and less about shooting Pokemon, but shooting them with the photos. I like that there are also fun things that you can do with like the scenery and stuff like that. Like there's a whole point system for just getting photos of things that vaguely look like Pokemon. Like in one in the river map, if you take a photo of like this bush, Professor Oak will be like, kind of looks like a Cubone, doesn't it? Or like you take a photo of like some rocks and he's like, those look like a big diglet. <laughs> and he's like, okay, Professor Oak, they sure do. Wasn't there things that you had to take photographs in the environment to trigger things or was that those are the signs that you would have to take pictures of in order to uh, unlock kind of the rainbow road which is where you can uh, take pictures of Mew. yeah yeah um there were secrets to unlock other courses so like i remember if you triggered a electrode to explode near a pile of rocks it would open up the level to the cave and that i remember there was in the one of the ones you had to knock a uh what's it called a, a manky the manky you had to knock him onto a button uh you had to like roll onto it and that would open up the to the valley i think to be honest there i so i own a nintendo switch and when pokemon snap was announced like that i was like immediate buy like i needed pokemon snap in my life because it, it really it, and the the switch game was a lot of fun i played it uh my wife and i we will sit and play the game and we'll take turns like taking pictures of the different pokemon and stuff it's a game that that is simultaneously like relaxing but also has a little bit of a challenge so it's not like super relaxing because there's like moments where you're like oh no i gotta like spin quickly to get the picture of this thing as it flies away or whatever i'm a big fan of pokemon snap even though i did want it to be pokemon poacher when i was a child uh so uh, on the topic of violent pokemon games this is one that i'm sure seth wishes we had right we don't have we didn't we never had pokemon stadium we never had pokemon stadium I, to this day, don't think I played more than a few moments of it. I I remember I had friends who had Pokemon Stadium, and I was always excited to play it when we went to their house because they had the N64, and I was like, I really want to play Pokemon Stadium. But Pokemon Stadium, I think, is restricted to just the two players, one versus the other at minimum, right? Because it's either one person or two people. I don't think you can have like a four. You can't have a battle royale between all four Pokemon. So when I would visit my my friends there would always be more than two people so we would have to play more than two people video games like the golden eye or like something like that instead of playing pokemon stadium so you guys never played the mini games that were part of like pokemon stadium when you were over so i definitely played the mini games later so my uh i, I had a friend who had a copy of pokemon stadium and this was like back when i was in high school so people 
had like xboxes and stuff but he would still come over and we would play pokemon stadium mini games together specifically clefairy says which was the best because it would go from being very easy to clefairy giving you like a list of a thousand commands and being like all right remember memorize this <laughs> <laughs> when i would go with my friends we would end up playing uh mario party if we were doing mini games like it was just like there was just something else that wasn't pokemon stadium but they had it and i was always very jelly because i wanted to play it and i I knew that you were able to like load your actual Pokemon from Game Boy, which was really cool. Yeah. And we didn't have Game Boys as children. So like my Pokemon Game Boys lived on my computer because I played Game Boy. My Game Boy was a no money Game Boy emulator. Um, So my original run of Pokemon Red was on my computer, even as a kid. So like I couldn't even, I was just, I lived in a sad life where I, I couldn't transfer my pokemon to see in stadium existence i definitely remember the at least in the first game a lot of the mini games were like very button mashy like they would i remember one of them i don't remember which one hurt like almost to the level of like mario party doing the thing with the joystick hurt level of like button mashing one of the buttons i don't remember which one it was might have been gotta dig, be dig, thundering dig. dynamo thundering oh dynamo yeah with the pikachu smashing a and b like as fast as you can yep. to try to charge up the uh electricity it was 100 percent thundering dynamo that one hurt <laughs> <laughs> like that one was just painful that was my least favorite partly because i couldn't push my thumb far fast enough to hit the buttons yeah it was that and then it like if you could it just was like yeah it was just an unpleasant experience ben do you want to do you want to tell us all about pokemon stadium and uh your thoughts on it so pokemon Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Stadium 2 are N64 video games where players can battle Pokemon in tournaments, battle gym leaders, play mini games, and practice in free battle mode. Uh, the first Pokemon Stadium was designed by Nintendo EAD in HAL Laboratory and published by Nintendo for the N64 in the US in 2000. And the Pokemon Stadium 2 was just designed by Nintendo EAD and published by Nintendo for the N64 in the US in 2001. So the first Pokemon Stadium uh, game featured all 151 first generation Pokemon that can be found in Pokemon Red, Blue, and Yellow for the Game Boy. And Pokemon Stadium 2 added in the second generation of uh, Pokemon uh, that can be found in Gold, Silver, and Crystal games uh, for the Game Boy. Actually, a really funny story about uh, Pokemon Gold and, and how we lost it that I can get into later if you want to. <laughs> Oh, sure. So remind me to bring that story up because it's actually pretty funny. But back to uh, Pokemon Stadium. Uh, so when battling in tournaments in gyms and in free battle mode, you can choose a team of up to six, but you only get to battle with three of the Pokemon that you get to choose right before the match. And if you defeat your foe, you'd move on to the next stage and, and battle uh, the next Pokemon trainer until you win the tournament or uh, or uh, beat the gym leader. Uh, with both Pokemon Stadium and Pokemon Stadium in 2, there are cool mini games that can be played up to four players. If you only have three players, the last slot would be filled by a computer uh, so that there's always four. But Pokemon Stadium has nine mini games that you can play and compete with to see who gets a, to a certain set number of wins first. And uh, Pokemon Stadium 2 has 12 mini games and a fun quiz feature. Um, and you can choose to play mini individual mini games and compete for the mini game championship where players try to be the first to set number of, of coins. And both games were compatible with the transfer pack, which was pretty cool as it allowed you to load your Pokemon from your copies of 
of red, blue, and yellow, which I think is a very innovative way of not only getting people to buy Pokemon red, blue, or yellow, but also to get people to buy Pokemon Stadium. <laughs> Nintendo has been always very good. Them and the Pokemon Company always have been very smart in getting people to buy many copies of Pokemon, and I commend them for that. But also, I think the coolest thing the Transfer Pack can do is let you play your Pokemon games on your TV through your N64, which is just very neat. That was just the thing that I think they didn't have to add. I'm glad they did. Like, just that that little detail is a very cool detail. Pokemon Stadium, as, as mentioned, had a number of mini games. We had uh, Clefairy Says, where you would repeat back directions that the instructor Clefairy writes, like Simon Says. There was Dig, 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 where players race to see which sand shrew can dig for water the fastest. There was Ekans Hoopearl, where players toss Ekans, which is a snake, over the Diglet, which is kind of also like a snake. <laughs> that Diglet's, Diglet's, out Diglet's like a mole. They're a mole, mole worm. A mole. They're a mole worm. There's Magikarp Splash, where Mar Magikarp used the splash move to make a hit counter count up. There's uh, Rock Harden, where Metapod or Kakuna use Harded to stop boulders from damaging them. Run Rattata Run, where Rattata runs on a treadmill to reach the goal while avoiding obstacles. Snore War, where Drowsy uses Hypnosis on a pendulum when it hits the center of the swing to make the other Drowsy fall asleep. Sushi Go Round, where Lickitung runs around eating sushi to get the most expensive bill. And Thundering Dynamo, which is where Pikachu and Voltorb rapidly press A or B to charge electricity. Now, the Pokemon Stadium 2 minigames are Gutsy Golbat, where you Golbat flies around a cave and you collect hearts. Topsy Turvy, with Hitmontop knocking each other out of the arena using Rapid Spin Move. Clear Cut Challenge. Scyther or Pinsir cut the white line on their logs to get points. Uh, Furret's Frolic, where Furret knocks Pokeballs into the corner to score. Barrier Ball, with Mr. Mime, who bounces Pokeballs around into different goals. Pichu's Power Plant, where Pichu race to be the first to fully charge up using four electrodes. Rampage Rollout, uh, Donfin race to be the first to complete nine laps around a square track. Streaming Stampede, Cleffa or Igglybuff count uh, specific Pokemon and earn points based on how close they were to the estimate. Tumbling Togepi, Togepi runs on a treadmill to reach the goal, avoiding obstacles. Delibird's Delivery, Delibird picks up presents to gain points. Egg Emergency, Chansey must catch the falling eggs while avoiding Voltorb. Uh, and the last one is Eager Eevee, where Eevee race uh, around a lid held down by Apom, who will then open it to reveal fruit that players must grab while avoiding Pineco. Now, I'll be honest with you. My level of Pokemon knowledge pretty much ends after the first season of Ash. So a lot of the words I just said, not quite sure what I just said. They sounded right to me. Perfect. Because I was like, don't know what an apom is. Don't know what a pinecone is. I think a pinecone is the one that looks like a pinecone. I'd yep, assume so. I, yeah, yeah, I'd assume so. Yeah. I know who Voltorb is. My my Pokemon, like, my knowledge, like, my deep memories of Pokemon, they end at 151. I know all of those. After 151, it gets a little hazy. I know there's, like, some reptiles and some stone trees and stuff like that. That happens. But I couldn't tell you past 151 with any sort of concrete knowledge. Like, you could show me a Pokemon after 151, and I will agree with you. I could t probably tell you the difference between a Digimon and a Pokemon after that, but I, I that's pretty much where my... 
my, my knowledge base stops. But you, you had a story about gold, which is a version that is past 151. Yeah, so this, this is the reason why I don't know any Pokemon after Generation <laughs> 2. So growing up, uh, I have three younger brothers, and we had two different uh, Game Boy Colors. And we had gold and silver version of Pokemon. Um, so one time, we were all going to my cousin's soccer game. And uh, my, youngest, my youngest brother was like eight years old. Uh, and to keep him entertained, you know, I gave him the teal Game Boy Color, which had gold version in it. And I had like an Alexam at like level 98 or something like that. I was trying to get to 100, so I was almost there. Well, we go to get in the car later, and I ask my brother where it is. He's like, oh, uh, I dropped it. I was like, what do you mean you dropped it? He had went to a porta potty He did the chin tuck and didn't use the oh, urinal. no. He, he oh. used the main toilet air in the porta potty and just whoop right into the toilet so that is why i don't know any pokemon beyond uh gen 2 you know what some porta potty cleaning man just had a great day <laughs> he's like yo i found pokemon in here <laughs> yeah i was like you you should go pick that up and my mom's like no my mom said no immediately like it's gone it's gone <laughs> that is a very sad story it's fun to look back on but in the time devastating have you seen the prices of pokemon like original cartridges for pokemon like it's devastating now too mm -hmm. because they the gay market has yeah like exploded. i said that toilet man <laughs> who knows maybe they just cleaned it out and he just hit gold <laughs> yeah yeah to go over and do the numbers both pokemon snap and pokemon stadium were very successful games pokemon snap sold in excess of 151,000 copies in their first three days of release since its release it was the most rented game up until october of 22nd 1999 and for the month of november it was featured in the united states top 10 list of best-selling video games it would go on later for that year continuing to rank as the 10th best-selling video game and remaining at the most rented video game throughout the rest of the year pokemon snap by the end of 1999 will would progress up to the sixth best-selling video game in the united states having sold in excess of 1.5 million copies ign attributes the success with their well-targeted promotions including their connection to blockbuster and having kids being able to print stickers in at the store brilliant marketing move by december 31st 2003 pokemon snap would have gone on to ship 3.63 million units which is pretty impressive and pretty successful not the most successful pokemon game but successful nonetheless meanwhile in the first month of sales in north america pokemon stadium sold over 1 million copies and became the best-selling console of the game in the region during the year 2000 uh nintendo of America announced that it would actually release Pokemon Stadium as player's choice title, which is a well-selling game with a lower suggested retail on December 26, 2000, which would go on to pump the sales even more. And at least more than 3.97 million copies have been sold of Pokemon Stadium, the original, including in that 3.97 million copies, 3.16 of that coming from the United States, 710,000 from Japan, and more than 100,000 in the UK, which is why the United States market is so important to Pokemon. Yeah, it's very important to Pokemon. But uh, that's going to be our, I would say, our alternate Pokemon episode. We'll go into our retro rewind where we'll talk about retro games. Zach and I won't talk about our specific retro games that we were signed each other many moons ago now, but we'll talk about some retro games that we've been playing. And Ben, as the uh, the guest, would you like to tell us about a retro game that you've been playing? Sure, yeah. For my retro game, I chose NFL Blitz 2000 for the N64. That was a football video game for up to four players uh, designed and published by Midway Games in the US in 1999. 
1999. Uh, it was originally designed as an arcade game and then ported into uh, PlayStation, Nintendo 64, Dreamcast, Microsoft Windows, and Game Boy Color. Players can compete in a single football game in the arcade, play in a tournament of up to eight teams, try to win the Super Bowl in the season mode, or use the play editor to create new offensive or defensive plays or practice existing plays. Uh, so you could choose in the game any of the 31 teams that existed at the time. Now, of course, there have been some changes over the past you know, 25 years. Now there are 32 teams, four divisions per conference, and some teams have moved cities or changed names. Uh, but once in the game, uh, players can select their own plays. They can do common things like stiff arm or spin move, jump, uh, use turbo to go faster, and uh, you can actually get on fire uh, by getting back-to-back -back sacks or completing three passes in a row to the same player, uh, which essentially gives you unlimited turbo and makes you harder to tackle. There's also no penalties, which means you can tackle nice. anyone at any time. No pass interference, no late hit calls, and, um, and then prior to the game, you can put in cheat codes that can modify the game or change the rules. Uh, things like infinite turbo or play with big heads or a big football or even change the stadium and play in like a Roman Coliseum. I feel like the N64 era was obsessed with big heads. Like yeah. Oh, every, yeah. DK every mode? game yeah. had like some sort of like big head mode. I don't know if you mentioned it on or off the podcast, but you mentioned that you were a big sports fan. Zach and I, back during Thanksgiving, we decided that we were going to play a football game because our sister's boyfriend wanted to watch football. So we decided that we would be that football for him. Uh, Zach and I are not sports people and aren't very good at them. So we played a super techno poll for the SNES and we played a game of football where uh, we scored no touchdowns the entire uh, four periods or quarters. No, they're quarters. They're quarters. There's, there's four. There's four. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Even I know that. So. <laughs> yeah. we, we scored no touchdowns during the four quarters. I think we got two safeties we only scored points via safeties and field goals we made zero only touchdowns and, yes. we barely moved <laughs> yeah we we did not stray um the during the first half we didn't stray more than like 40 yards either way and we would just like back and forth the entire time and then in the back half we just punted once once we learned you could punt that was like our game that was just yeah, punting so then, <laughs> That it was punting, but yeah, it was, and the game ended seven to five, <laughs> all driven by safeties and one, a field goal. Yes, uh, I remember when it ended. I said this was probably the worst game of football that the people in the stadium have ever watched, and I was like, and I hope they got a refund. <laughs> I, so I'm a I'm a big Penn State fan. Uh, so I went to Penn State undergrad, and that's actually where I met my wife. And oh, nice. In, in 2004, uh, Penn State played Iowa in Beaver Stadium, which is the, the home stadium for Penn State. And the final score was 6-4 to four for, for the Hawkeyes winning. Uh, they won the game, which was terrible. But, oh, man, like, so that, that score, I mean, still possible. Yeah. <laughs> still possible. Uh, beautiful. Beautiful. For my retro game, I've been playing Zeus Master Olympus, which was released in 2000. It's a single-player strategy game developed by Impressions Game and published by Sierra. It's a city builder game. I really love city builder games. I enjoy Out of Zeus because there's a lot of these city builder games that I've been playing lately, Caesar, Pharaoh, and Zeus, and they all take place in either Rome, Egypt, or Greece. I like that in Zeus, you get to continue to develop the same city in Zeus. So when the mission ends, you once you resume, you resume in the same mission. Uh, 
of the same city where um, in Caesar and Pharaoh, they would reset you and you would have to start from scratch. Um, so it's kind of cool modifying a city from what you already created. You do eventually get reset, but you do have a couple of stages where you're playing in the same city, which is really cool. So you can get like a nice supply chain going on. There was a period of time where I had to make marble and I had to get a throughput marble of like, I had to get like something along the line of like 65 or 45 marble a year. And so I was just falling short. So I was like, I'm done. I'm going to create like a bunch of marble creators. Uh, so then I was like maxed out on marble creation. And then I got my throughput like 95 in a year. Then the game ended. The next mission came through and I was in the same city with my like crazy marble production. And they're like, okay, now you're gonna have to build a temple using marble. And I was like, well, fortunately, I'm swimming in marble. And I had enough marble built up because of my supply chain was so maxed out that uh, I could easily build the temple and sell marble and still make money through it. So it's a it's a pretty cool game. I really like in Zeus, the gods walk around the city and they like chat and they like manifest, which is kind of cool. And they'll also interact. So like if uh, you get attacked by enemies and Ares uh, is around, he'll just smoke all the enemies that come into your city. He'll just go and like, go by himself and kill them all and he has like a his like pet dragon or something that follows him around as well so it's kind of uh kind of cool and those mythical creatures will go in and you can have like hercules and all those people come into your city uh zeus is like a culmination of like all the impressions city building games to be like a really good package i also really appreciate that you could kind of go down either the path of like peace or the path of war so if you want to really concentrate on governing versus fighting you can do that so yeah so it's been uh zeus master of Olympus. The game that I've been playing recently was Taz in Escape from Mars. I love that game. I do too. It was a 1994 Sega Genesis game by Head Games, where you play as Taz, the Tasmanian devil of Looney Tunes fame. Uh, in the game, Taz has been kidnapped by Marvin the Martian, who's looking to create a zoo on Mars, and decides to kidnap the most chaotic character of the Looney Tunes. And it's your job to escape Mars and get back to Earth. Uh, you have the ability to eat things, spin really fast, and jump badly. Um, by jump badly, I mean Taz just jumps the worst. I forgot how bad his jumping was, but your spin is so good. It's overpowered, so you just kind of mow down enemies as you as you spin along. Um, you can use it to platform, so there's sometimes you'll see like a, a, a these walls that are close together, and you can use the spin to bounce up the walls. And when you eat things, depending on what you eat, it will either give you a health boost, but it could also be something like uh, rocks and you'll shoot rocks when you when you eat rocks. Um, you can also shoot fire if you eat a gas container. Um, you can also eat bombs, which will hurt you. There was a, a Taz game that came out on the SNES, which was like a Mode 7 Taz game, wasn't there? Like where you're like running Yeah, through? so the one that came out for the SNES is actually the SNES version of the game that we also had which was Tasmania which yeah. is the prequel to Taz in Escape from Mars Taz in Escape from Mars came out second we had Tasmania I don't remember liking Tasmania as much as Taz Escape from Mars but I think it's just because I liked Mars yeah well it wasn't Mar Marvin the Martians and yeah Mars. it's Marvin the Martian yeah. and it's like the Looney Tunes version of Mars where it's like doesn't look anything like what Mars actually looks like it has like weird buildings and like the ground's purple uh but 
still great game so with that before we get into our poll spiel that we do at the end of these podcasts ben where can people find you just give us another rundown let us know and uh yeah tell us where where we can we can find you yeah so i right now i'm on instagram and you can follow me at vto games and i'll be posting probably once a week on updates on my game and and how it's going from the design process and and as as i go to publish it i'll put a notification out to everyone that's following me uh where you can go to uh pre-order the game great with that if anyone has any questions for the classic gaming brothers they can email us at classicgamingbrothers at gmail.com you can visit our website at classicgamingbrothers.com you can like us follow us do all those things on instagram facebook and twitter facebook and instagram classic gaming brothers twitter cg brothers pod we're available on all the major podcasting applications out there be it Podbean, iHeartRadio, or stitcher so be sure to follow us if you haven't yet or let your friends know that they can follow us on those places make sure to like subscribe ring bells do all those things and with that seth is there anything i'm missing don't play games like my brother don't play games like my brother and don't play games like my brothers i've been seth and i've been zach and i've been ben we've been the classic gaming brothers and And ben Ben. that's right. right